calling all denizens of the dark, mavens of mayhem, and champions of chaos. Lock your doors and listen close. It's time for another episode of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes. Here's your host, Terence McCauley. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Thanks to all of you. We've got our first sponsor for this podcast for 2023. Best Thriller Books is the premier source for reviews and giveaways of the thrillers that ought to be on top of everyone's to-be-read list. From first-time authors to perennial New York Times bestsellers, Best Thriller Books covers the genre like no one else. So if you're looking for your next big thrill, be sure to check them out at bestthrillerbooks.com. It's the most fun you can have without risking a night in county jail. My guest today is Matt Witten, and he has done it all, folks. He's written novels, TV shows, stage plays, and movies. He is the author of the acclaimed and popular Jacob Burns Mysteries, as well as several standalone works. His TV writing includes popular series like House, Law and Order, Pretty Little Liars, among others. His plays, The Devil, Washington Square Moves, and The Ties That Bind have been produced in theaters all over the world. His movie, Drones, was released in 2014 and is currently available on Amazon. He lives in California with his wife and two sons. He also grew up an Orioles fan, which I don't hold against him. His latest novel, Killer Story, is available from Ocean View Publishing. Welcome to the show, Matt. And why don't you tell us a little bit about Killer Story? Uh, thank you, Terrence. I'm so glad to be here. I'm so impressed by all the different genre, genres you write in. It's it's uh, amazing to me, Westerns and spy books and, uh, and thrillers. Uh, yeah, Killer Story is a thriller. It's coming out today, which is where we're recording this on uh, Tuesday, January 17th. Yep. Killer Story is a thriller. It's about a, a, a it's about an idealistic journalist who launches a true crime podcast to investigate the murder of an alt-right YouTuber that she loved like a little sister, despite their political differences. And this book, you know, I got the idea for this book because I have so many friends that are in their 20s who are getting into the field of journalism. And it just mm -hmm. amazes me that these folks are getting into journalism because it's such a tough field. Every week, two newspapers die in this country. That sounds like an impossible statistic, but it's true. Uh, one quarter of newspapers have died in this country. In a few years, that number will be up to one third. I mean, it's stunning. Journalists are getting laid off right and left. So why do these folks get into it? They just have this idealism. They just have this mm -hmm. dream. They have these stories that they want to tell that they think they'll be able to tell through journalism. They think that it's an important uh, thing in society today to have good journalists good journalism, and they're moved to do it. And so they really impress me. And as writers, I, 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 I'm sure you can appreciate it too, to get into a field that's obviously very difficult. Everybody's mm -hmm. telling you, don't do it, go to law school, or, you know, whatever it might be. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. And, and yet you just have this passion and you do it. So I really appreciate that about them. So I created this character, uh, Petra, the main character, who's about to get laid off from her fourth 
newspaper in a row. And it's really through no fault of her own. You know, these newspapers are, are just laying people off. Or in one case, the newspaper's going bankrupt. So now she's desperate uh, at this point when she's about to get laid off again. And she comes up with this kind of a scheme. It's kind of real, but it's kind of a scheme to launch a true podcast, true crime podcast to investigate the murder of her uh, dead friend. And okay. and her um, her she you know she has a passion for it. She loved her friend, so it's legit. But she also wants to be famous. So the podcast gets to be a pretty complicated kind of situation, and my novel becomes complicated because it becomes a question: What is she looking for? Justice for her friend, or is she looking for clicks? And sometimes those two desires are at odds. So she becomes a little bit. Uh, she does some things that aren't quite right in in pursuit of a complicated mission that she's beginning to have. Right, and that's a very timely uh, kind of book to write because. These days, as we've seen a lot in the media lately, journalists seem to become the story as much as the stories that they're covering, don't they? Yes, absolutely. And if they get a lot of clicks, they're successful. You know, they do well. Uh, I, I don't blame them for going after clicks, but I certainly see uh, uh, TV shows like Making a Murderer, which was a documentary about a real-life murder that, uh, uh, in, in many people's opinion, took some serious liberties with the truth. And right. I see podcasts that are just, you know, true. I love true crime podcasts, listen to them all the time. But, you know, they're, they can be pretty sensational. They want to go for, oh, my God, maybe it was this guy. And they make it look like it might be this guy. It's possibly this guy. When really, maybe sometimes the evidence might not, uh, you know, bear with it. So there's all kinds of, you know, moral and financial pressures on these folks. Um, it, you know, I love my main character. I, I, I myself have been laid off uh, more than once. As a TV writer, you get laid off more than once. It just happens. I've been a TV writer for 20 years. And so I've been laid off four times. And sometimes it's for reasons like um, uh, the show gets canceled, uh, like mm -hmm. a women's murder club, the show gets canceled. And sometimes it's just because a new head writer comes in and uh, and hires all of uh, their people and just, you know, get rid of the old people from the previous season. So right. uh, but whatever the reason, it's, it's really uh, uh, stressful. So uh, that enabled me to really uh, relate to Petra and, and love her and, um, you know, relate to everyone who's been through this in their lives, which is kind of a, uh, you know, one of the more difficult things that you can go through in life. Right, exactly right. And it sounds like that you've got a really relatable uh, plot as well, because I think these days a lot, everyone can relate to job concerns and that being the motivation of your protagonist. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I had a lot of fun with the uh, with the murder victim too. She's a um, an alt right YouTuber, and she's uh, she's a Harvard, Harvard freshman. She's eighteen when she gets killed, and we first meet her when she's just this innocent young girl uh, wants to get into journalism herself. You know, she's she's fourteen and she's 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 full of enthusiasm, and you know, kind of naive in some ways. And then we next meet her when she's eighteen, and she's become just this you know, fiery radical, like, like Tommy Loren or, or Ann Coulter. And it's like, how did she turn out this way? What happened to her in those four years that made her change like this? So um, the book is, is kind of a mystery too about how she became like this. And if we can figure that out, we're going to be able to figure out the murder as well. Um, right. Yeah, because yeah, that, that's, that's essential to the plot because the people need to be able to 
follow it in order to find out uh, the justification for for what happened. Did you, uh, when you're writing this book, you, I would imagine, used a lot of scenes that were uh, set with uh, a YouTube V-blog, if you will, like a YouTube footage. How right. was it challenging to be able to mix media in terms of you've only got the written page in order to, uh, to relay the YouTube cast? Um, how was that, did, did that present a special kind of challenge to you? You know, I had her, her name is Livia. I had Olivia deliver most of her uh, content just while sitting on the edge of her bed in her dorm room. And she starts out with pretty basic kind of stuff. And then as she becomes more and more popular, then she buys, you know, fancy lights and she buys mm -hmm. uh, a better camera and uh, better equipment. Uh, but really, it was just her. It, she has a pretty um, spare aesthetic. So it's her sitting on, on the edge of her bed. And what you see in the book, as I describe it, is, you know, first it's it's autumn and you see the leaves outside her dorm at Harvard uh, turning colors. And then you see snow and then you see the mud of mud season and then she's dead. So that's her last uh, that's her last uh, video. Um, right. So I, I did that. And, uh, you know, I, I, I had fun writing her uh, writing her the content of her videos. It's, it's fun. I won't call her a bad guy because I love her, but I mean, her political views are pretty horrible at this point. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it, you know, you know how it is. I'm sure you've experienced this too. I, it's not that she's a villain, but it's really fun writing villainous, you know, thoughts from people. Some of her, some of her statements are pretty outrageous and terrible. So, but that's fun. Yeah. That's what makes it fun. Especially when you don't always agree with the characters that you create, you can right. still appreciate them and have affection for them and hope the audience does. Right. as well yeah. um did you uh did you draw any inspiration from any actual characters obviously they haven't been murdered of course but when you what was your inspiration for the kind of uh blog or youtube content that uh your uh character had really was tommy loren and ann coulter they were the two people i looked at most um so i, I yeah so i looked at their content on YouTube and also in the case of Ann Coulter, her content on Fox. Um, and the other thing that I did was I read up on uh, how people get seduced into ISIS uh, because uh, trying to understand how somebody could, could become an alt-right YouTuber when they're come from a pretty upper middle-class background and, and they, they're just nice people, you know, what sucks them into it? So I did a lot of research into the sense of community that these type of extremist groups uh, can provide people, because I think mm -hmm. that's important for why they why they get into it. They have, uh, in the case of my character, and I think many characters, this uh, displaced anger that um, they can't use on their real target, the person they're really angry at, uh, mm -hmm. what's really happening in their life. And so instead, you know, they find this other thing to get furious about. And they uh, and there's a sense of, there's a community of people who are furious uh, at the same thing, um, so that that was an interesting element of of it um, for yeah for the uh, murder victim character. Yeah, yeah, no, that's interesting, and it also sounds like you've tapped into something that's really happening in the country today. I think it was Jake Tapper who dubbed it MAGA media, and there's an awful lot of. Uh, podcasts available on a variety of platforms that tap into that uh, movement in the country. And it sounds like you found something interesting 
to say about them while not agreeing with them. That that was an interesting challenge for you to accept. Yeah, it's an interesting challenge. And also to write it in such a way that, uh, you know, I don't want it for both uh, um, for both artistic and also commercial reasons. I don't want to alienate uh, the vast number of, you know, conservatives and Republicans in this country. And I want them to be able to enjoy it too. So I really tried to like limit any kind of political talk that I did in, and, right. and only use it if it really was in service of the plot and the character. And I also tried to write it in such a way that, you know, I accept I'm going to alienate uh, 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 alt-right people and, and QAnon people. I accept that they're going to, you know, not really uh, cotton to this book. But I really want it to be a book that's accessible to, to, the, to the, everyone else, essentially. So I'm going to find out. I, I'm having a book launch party tonight. At, well, tonight is January 17th. But a book mm -hmm. launch party tonight in Los Angeles. And, and I have... Uh, three uh, uh, conservative friends that are going to be getting the book. And I'll, I'll look forward to hearing what they what they have to say if I manage to thread that needle of uh, of not uh, uh, saying, of them being able to enjoy the book. So far in all the reviews that I've gotten on Goodreads, I haven't had, you know, outraged conservatives uh, complaining about my portrayal of her. So, so hopefully that will continue to be the case. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I mean, it is difficult to try to get into a mindset that might be completely foreign to you. And since you're a TV writer, I, I remember a story about the later season of West Wing, where I think Larry O'Donnell took over the writing and they were they wanted, and from a just a purely life of the show aspect, he wanted to take it in a further right direction just to cover the Republican angle of, of presidential politics, but he couldn't find any writers who could appreciate that part of the spectrum. So it didn't work. So it's uh, it's interesting that he had a great idea, but it was just it sounded like he couldn't find the people who were able to uh, embody his his vision for it, and uh, that I found very interesting at the time. Yeah, the other thing I find interesting about political TV shows is I, I tend to like them when they're like flat out you know liberal or when they're flat mm -hmm. out conservative, but when they really try to go down the middle line, I sometimes get aggravated by them. Like there was, um, I think it was called Commander in Chief, starring Gina Davis. And right, as the president, yeah. Right, and they attempted to create her as a character who was like not beholden to either side. She was like the emboldened middle or the, the radical middle or they tried to position. And I found it just, you know, mealy-mouthed and not not of interest. So... Um, I, you know, it's it's you know it's a it's a difficult you know thing to thing to pull off to write something with political content in a way that you like. I mean, honestly, for me, uh, West Wing was a little bit mealy mouth. People called it oh liberal and very liberal, and I was like, I don't know. They try so hard to do the both sidesism, you know, that to me it was like they were giving conservatives point of view that making them sound more legitimate than, in my opinion, they actually were, and not really standing with what I thought. So. You know, but whatever, everybody's a critic, you know, if uh, everybody has a million different ideas. I know I'm in the minority there, so I'm happy to, happy to be in the minority sometimes. Right, yeah. I mean, it was also one of those shows where it was very stylistic and it had its own voice. And I think people enjoyed it for what it was, just like a lot of people like Yellowstone, too. I mean, it's I've known ranchers through my, my Western writing who said it's absolutely ridiculous. The place would have gone bankrupt in a month if you ran it like that. But, you know, for, for most people, we're not ranchers, so we enjoy the, the theater of it all. And right. I've noticed 
lately, and then for the last 20 years or so, talk about an audience, there's an insatiable appetite for true crime. Uh, right. Were you able to, uh, in your research, beyond the political aspect of it, did you get a chance to delve into any of the uh, true crime, not just the podcast, but that culture of, of people having such a, an appetite for true crime? Uh, yeah, I mean, I listened to a lot and I, I certainly talked to fans and then ultimately I uh, showed the book to uh, several true crime podcasters, uh, True Crime Garage, um, uh, God, I'm going to blank out, uh, The Murder Sheet, that's one I really like, and okay. um, Tundra, Frozen North, um, and some others. Um, those are the ones that uh, stick out. Uh, so yeah, so you know, I got I got uh, feedback from them on it, uh, which was nice to know that I had gotten it uh, uh, accurate. And I also uh, uh, talked to a couple other friends who do non-true crime podcasts just to learn about the economics of it. You know how mm -hmm. much e how much each ad advertisement uh, that you hear uh, is worth, and um, what what the negotiations with the advertisers are like, and just the economic aspects of of doing a podcast because. You know, there's a lot of them, and if you want to actually, you know, make money of them, and, and you know how many people listen to podcasts, but um, you know, it's a great form. I mean, I remember when they were talking about the death of radio about maybe 12 years ago, and right. uh, now podcasts are well, it's obviously just incredibly, you know, successful. So right, and also too, there was uh, earlier before we started recording, we were talking about how everything old is new again. I've even seen some uh, dramatic plays that are on uh, podcasts that harken back to the old radio shows of uh, of the 1930s and 20s and 40s about uh, you know murder mystery theater and, and and stuff like that. It's it's a really dynamic uh, part of the internet. That uh, that really is. If people want to hear a really good uh, like a sci-fi kind of thriller, I was listening to, yesterday to Case 63, which is on Spotify. And um, anyway, I really recommend it. The first season just ended. They have 12 episodes. And mm. uh, famous actor, his name I'm forgetting, uh, British actor. But anyway, it's very good. But yeah, it's it's amazing how much stuff is, is going on in the podcast field now. It really is. Did you watch uh, Only Murderers in the Building on uh, Hulu? Oh, I'm embarrassed to say I haven't, but I do plan to. Yeah, you would enjoy that. That's um, yeah. it, It's very well done. And uh, Steve Martin and, and Martin Shorter in there. And it's... You, you probably see Martin Short can really go beyond the scope of something pretty quickly, but he's he's really great in that. And and Selena Gomez is in it. Fantastic stuff. It, it wow. really is. Um, earlier, we were talking about um, making of a murderer. Uh, were there are there any other um, documentaries like that that you watched that helped give you some inspiration for Killer Story? Uh, let's see. There was one the Cincinnati Inquirer put out called Accused. There are a number of them. I'd have to look in my uh, on my phone. That would probably be mm -hmm. boring radio. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but, you know, there's a genre of impassioned young woman who is looking at a cold case and is is breaking it open. And I've listened to probably five or ten, you know, in that genre. And, uh, and I, you know, I really, I really enjoy it. Um, and that's what my book fits into that genre. Um, I forget, I think one was called Accused, uh, was mm -hmm. one of the ones I listened to in that genre. Um, there's also a genre that I've been, you know, learning about uh, recently, I guess I was already familiar with it, but 
there, there's also a genre of young women who have experienced uh, terrible crimes in their own life. You know, their aunt was murdered when they were young, um, who, who then create uh, podcasts. So for instance, I was on a podcast recently called uh, Murder, Blood, and Psychopaths. And that was the story of that one. And then I believe that's the story of, uh, of, of Go West. So people who were impacted by crime in their, in their lives, and, and the crime has never been solved in the case of Murder, Blood, and Psychopaths and, and some of these other uh, podcasters. And mm -hmm. you know, so that's sort of part of the you know, deep down motivation for them doing it. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the impassioned young woman who is out to get justice and has a personal stake in it is is uh, is a is a genre of podcast uh, that I like, and that mm -hmm. that is 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 mimicked in 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 the book in in Killer Story for sure. Right, um, right, yeah. It, it sounds like the uh, there was a documentary several years ago on HBO about uh, I believe it was the granddaughter of the Rosenbergs, and she reopens the case and delves into the facts and what happened there. And by the end of the documentary. She realizes that there's. She found evidence that actually confirms that the grandparents may have been involved oh, more yeah. than than the allies thought, and it was it was a fascinating journey. And I gave her credit for putting that kind of truth in there. Showed yeah. that she was dedicated to the truth. Yeah, that's really great. There's another similar genre of of. Um, I, I read one. Or I listened to one about a, a young woman whose whose father was a serial killer, and she learned you know later in life that he was a serial killer. So she was uh, investigating that. Um, yeah, right. I mean, I guess the granddaddy of all of these podcasts is uh, Serial, where that mm -hmm. was, again, it was the impassioned uh, young woman who's going to right this wrong from the past. And uh, and that one, I got to say, I think I was wrong on, because at the time, I'm like, I'm sorry, the dude's, the dude's guilty, you know? It's like, you're trying to make something out of this. And now this past year, uh, kind of realizing, you know, I think I was wrong about that. I think she was onto something. I think she, you know, saved this guy's life, uh, a guy who who deserved to have his life saved for sure. Uh, so that's, um, yeah, so Serial is, is the one that, that started with this whole uh, movement. Yeah, it seems like it has. It seems like it has. In your Now, do you envision this being a standalone or do you think that this might be a character you're going to want to continue with? You know, it's a good question, and I don't really have the answer for it. The novel that I'm writing now is is a different uh, is a different character and a different story, and mm -hmm. I'm actually writing a, a TV project too that's a different story. Uh, I do think about it. She 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 definitely, without giving any spoilers, the main character Petra uh, definitely gets a kind of comeuppance at the end, and and it's it's a happy ending, but it's, it's bittersweet. She has to she's going to have to forge a slightly new road in her life because of everything that's happened in the book. And I have thought about uh, giving her a, a second tour. Uh, so I, I, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just not sure. I'm, I'm a little bit of a, of a restless, restless writer. You know, I'll do one thing and then, then do another and then do another and then another. And like you say, I've written, you know, plays and movies and TV shows and books. The, the one book series I stuck, stuck with the longest before I started writing for TV I wrote mm -hmm. four books with the same character, uh, Jacob Burns' mystery series. Right. And I remember, you know, the first book took me out of nine months to write. And then by the third or fourth book, it was taking me four months to write. I was like, man, I like this. I like starting knowing who the character is and having a, 
environment and the feeling and knowing the, the tone, that's kind of fun. So I, I, I definitely think about that sometimes. And uh, I mean, I listen to you. you, you write five books a year sometimes. And it's like, oh my God, how do you do that? I could never <laughs> do that. But maybe if I, if I did the series thing, I could at least do two a year, or maybe if I got really lucky some years three. But anyway, it was it's, anyway, yeah, yeah. Because that's so. That's the other thing I was going to ask you. Like you've you've written all different types of media. You've written novels, and you've written you've written novels with uh, series in them. You've also written for TV and plays and, and and screenplays. What have you learned through all of those different uh, disciplines that you take with you when you approach a novel? Well, I started out as a playwright. And when you're in the theater watching a play that you've written, you can see every moment that people are uh, moving their, their butts in their seats or they're looking at their program or they're just kind of rustling a little bit or they're uh, yawning or, or whatever, scratching their nose. And you die every second you see that, every second you see somebody do that. And you know, conversely, you see when people are really wrapped, you see there's none of this stuff. And everybody's having a big community of feeling where they're totally involved in the experience. So uh, that has taken that that has stuck with me to now. You know, you know, I started writing plays, you know, maybe 30 years ago. That stuck with me to now when I write a book. I don't want people rustling in the seats, you know, when they're reading, reading the book. Um, I don't want them skimming. Um, I'm just not prepared to accept that. And uh so I think my books get skimmed a lot less than other people's books. I think uh, uh, I, I think my books tend to be fast paced and uh, and yeah, and you don't skim them. So that's, I think, one thing that uh, that writing plays has helped me with. Also TV shows, by the way, and, and also movies. Uh, you know, in TV shows now, you can kind of skim them. You can kind of, you know, look at your phone while you're listening. So right. you know, if the TV show gets boring for a little while, you can kind of put up with it. But still, you can't skim it as easily as you can a book. So writing TV shows, you know, I still learn you know, to keep it uh, fast paced. So it was helpful that way too. I think those two forms and also movie writing help me uh, to write good dialogue. You know, it uh, tends to be pretty um, terse and economical or it, you know, there's not a lot of wasted words in my dialogue, I think, in, in my books. And I think that, you know, that that comes from, you know, TV writing uh, and, and playwriting. Um, right. Yeah. I, I would imagine it, so. Yeah. I think in general, if I'm reading a novel and I found if I find out that the writer has also written for TV or been a playwright, I tend to say, OK, I'm going to get some good dialogue here. That tends to be my reaction. Um, I don't know what else. What else have I learned from uh, from TV writing and playwriting? Well, just TV writing specifically. Uh, you know, especially if you're writing for a network show, uh, you, you know, you got to have a twist coming up for every commercial, you know, to get right. people to come back from the commercial. So I think I'm pretty focused on, you know, making sure there are lots of uh, twists and, you know, in, in the books. Right. Um, yeah, that definitely is important because there's so many distractions nowadays with phones or people having busier lives than ever before. You need to keep them engaged. And it sounds like you found the secret to be able to do that. Yeah, absolutely. I would say if there's one habit I had to get out of um, in order to be writing novels, it was, you know, when I wrote novels before I wrote TV, that was one thing. But after 
you know, working, writing TV for 20 years. Then when I got back into writing novels with uh, The Necklace and with Killer Story, um, and the, the, first, the first draft was like, I didn't, I wasn't in the character's head enough for, for, for readers, uh, for my better reader, beta readers. It was, um, you know, I wasn't putting in stuff like, you know, her heart pounded or, you know, just to let you know where the character was. Because in TV writing, you just don't put as many of the parentheticals. You don't put as many of the um, stage directions. It's just then you're, it would just look junky. So, okay. so I got the note from from the people in my writing group. You know, we got to be feel like we're inside the character's head. You know, at all times. You know, we got to be totally in there. So okay, so I wrote, started writing my chapters differently. And then they said, "Man, you got way too much of this crap. You got to cut way back." <laughs> so, I, I had to find a, a happy medium, and um, uh, and I went to a um, an event that the Writers Guild sponsored of of not of TV writers who had gotten into no, gotten into novel writing, and I was very mm-hmm. gratified to see that uh, all of them, all four up on the podium, had had the exact same experience that I had, literally, of writing too little, then writing too much, and then you know just right, you know, so. Um, yeah, so that's what I had to. That's what I had to unlearn in a certain kind of way from TV writing and playwriting. Yeah, there's always something to be learned, no matter what genre you're entering. Um, and and one of those things that you mentioned earlier that, that just stuck out to me is being able to accept uh, creative criticism. Like you said, when you write a uh, when you're sitting there and you're watching a play that you've written, be and perform, you can gauge the reaction of people. And then when you started writing your novels, you had to get feedback from the people who you were your beta readers who told you what was working and what wasn't how important has the reception of criticism uh creative criticism been to you and and your craft i think it's incredibly important i remember when i started out as a playwright um there were people that would just if you gave them criticism at the weekly uh, playwrights meeting they would just argue mm-hmm. and if you suggested cuts in their stuff, they would just argue and they never got better. Um, they were talented uh, people um, and they didn't get better. And then the people who are open, who are just quiet and listen and to hear what people say, don't make any comments right away about criticism. And then, I mean, what I do is like in my writer's group or wherever, I'll just be quiet while people are giving criticism. Or I'll nod my head to hear that I hear them, but I won't, I won't like, I won't like come back if somebody says something and I think that's effing crazy. Didn't you see it's in the it's in the chapter already? What the heck is your problem? <laughs> you know, I'll just kind of I'll just kind of keep that to myself. And I'll find that by the end of the whatever 10 minute session or 15 minute session where people are giving me notes, I'll sometimes I'll start to understand what they're saying. Sometimes I'll realize that everybody has the same opinion in my writing group, so I, I better listen. Um sometimes. Yeah, sometimes maybe another reader will explain it in a in a way I understand better, or, or the same person if I keep listening. So and then so I listen, and then at the end of it, then maybe if there's still something I don't get, I'll you know I'll say something like, you know, I'm so interested that that you know people didn't really register with people that you know this character you know liked to uh, you know put on her shoes backwards or whatever. I'm kind of interested. Nobody really picked up on that. It's right there, you know, on page 12 or whatever. And they'll say, 
Yeah, I guess we kind of saw that, but we really kind of needed to know that on page four. And by the time page 12 rolled around, like, I guess we heard it, but it wasn't really registering because the important part where we really needed to know it was page four. And I should use a different example than shoes backwards to be like, you know, maybe she had a knife in her pocket or whatever, you know, something right. more important. And so, uh, you know, that's that's just what I would say. Um, I would say on the, on the flip side of it, you have to have confidence and you have to know what you are trying to say and you have to believe in yourself because, you know, there are people that can get kind of, uh, a little bit crushed by criticism and unable to move on. Um, I would say one thing that I've learned is if I finished a, uh, a rough draft of a novel or a, a, a teleplay, that I won't give it to as many people as I used to. I used to give it to uh, seven people and the, the, the feedback got overwhelming and confusing. And that I found if I gave it to two or three, maybe three might be the sweet spot, uh, people that I really trusted, that I'd heard their criticism before, I knew where they were coming from, and I knew I would uh, understand it and it would be good. Um, and, and that, then that felt, uh, then that felt like the right amount. So right. yeah, I would say that if there's anyone out there who's listening who is uh, interested in writing or is is writing, um, yeah, try to find people who are reading your stuff and and just be uh, just try to be quiet and listen uh, before you uh, and take notes before you. Uh, Come, come back with your comebacks uh, about why why you're right or you know whatever. Right, yeah, because a lot of times that criticism isn't going to be uh, educated criticism. Like I've had people say about my Westerns, oh, well, you know, I don't want to, it's just ridiculous. It's just a bunch of gunslingers and bloodshed. You don't have any kind of interesting characters in it. Everything is just um, predictable. But then I, I know they didn't read it because I've got a, white sheriff and a black deputy in one series. And I've gotten a, a Latin American guy who's a, a gunslinger in my uh, Jeremiah Halstead series. So it's you can tell when someone has actually put in the work to read the book. And it's important to know which criticism to accept and which criticism isn't. And it sounds like you've gotten a lot of experience with that. It is. And yeah, one thing I look for is people who like like the genre. So mm -hmm. uh, uh so, you know, in a way, I don't really care if they're professional writers or, you know, whatever. I know in my first books, it was just a neighbor who just really loved that genre that I was writing in. And she gave me some of the best criticism, you know, I've ever gotten. So just just to get people who are into it, like, you know, if you're mm -hmm. writing a Western and um, and your your beta reader, may, let's say, is somebody who's never read a Western in, your, in their lives might not be, you know, the best uh, beta reader because that's not quite, you know, what your audience is. Right, right, exactly right. Yeah, and then, yeah, if they don't have any appreciation for the genre, you have to take that into account when you ask them for their yeah. opinion. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And and every every reader, like I have one that, I, that has given me tremendous help, but I know that she's going to be um, maybe a little more hardcore or a stickler in terms of every single thing completely, completely connecting and making sense in a certain kind of way that you don't really need exactly. And right. uh, I mean, I like things to make sense and, and, and she just takes it to the max. It's just, so I know that's where she's coming from. And then there's another reader that, um, you know, always wants more description. And I'm the opposite. I always want more dialogue. Like I'm the guy that like right. will skim if I'm reading a book you know, if they don't get to the dialogue in the chapter by the fourth paragraph, I'm like, come on, what's your problem here? Get somebody talking. 
So, you know, but, you know, that's the, that's the virtue of having like friends that you've had for a long time that, you know, you know where they're coming from and they're, they're brilliant and they're great people. And, and, you know, you know, you also know, you know, just how to take their criticism. Right, right. And it sounds like you've learned through your uh, writing something that Elmore Leonard said, which is leave out the parts people tend to skip. Uh, there's and, and people, you don't want to do that because you don't want people to go to another medium. Yeah, I love that quote. It's such a great quote. And he's really one of my favorite writers. In this bookshelf behind me, there's a shelf that's dedicated to Elmore Leonard books. So, yeah. Yeah, I, don't, I bet you don't have any of his Westerns there, but his first books were Westerns and they're excellent. They hold up really well. I read them all and some of them are there. Um, oh, they are. There was okay, one cool. uh, uh, Comanche. There was one uh, 310 to Yuma. Um, yeah, that was excellent. That was excellent. No, he, his, his Westerns were great. I know he says that he switched to, uh, or he said that he switched to uh, crime novels for commercial reasons, but uh, he was already reading, writing freaking great Westerns back in the 50s. Yeah, he wrote Ombre. He wrote a bunch yeah. of really great stuff. And that was a good movie too with Paul Newman. Well, I haven't seen the scenes. movie, but I love the book. I've read every book he's written, honestly. I, I really have. He's him, Richard Price. Um, let me think who are the writers I've read, everything they've ever read. Jason Starr. Uh, yeah, he's great. Jason's awesome. He's great. Um, anyway, there are a few like that. Those are the three. Oh, Michael Connolly. Those, those, yeah. those, those are the writers I think I've read everything they've ever uh, written. Yeah, um, no, but I shouldn't say that. Every novel they've ever written. <laughs> Every novel, they, right? Yeah, just they, they've probably written more than that. Speaking of writing, uh, you said you're writing another novel. Anything you can share with us about that? Sure. It's called Brainstorm, and it stars a, uh, a young woman who's a brilliant uh, neuroscientist. And uh, she goes out on a blind date, and uh, she and her blind date get kidnapped. And they get into this, uh, embroiled in this uh, international crazy uh, situation where it turns out she has, without knowing it, created a weapon of mass destruction. And uh, so they are trying to get access to this weapon of mass destruction. And she, she didn't realize she had done it. And uh, so she has to escape and she has to figure out if her boyfriend, excuse me, her blind date can really be trusted or if he's part of this operation. And she has to uh, save the world, so it's uh, it's a very fun uh, so it's, it's a fun romp. It's a lot of fun. That's awesome. That's awesome. When do you think that might be? Is that uh, targeted for next year? Oh, my agent's uh, putting it out now to publishers actually. So awesome. Um, yeah, so it's going out to publishers now, and now I'm actually working on a um, on a on a TV project. Now I'm writing a, a Hallmark mystery movie based on a novel by Julia Buckley called. Uh, a dark and stormy murder so that's okay that's my current yeah yeah so i'm doing that wow. and then my next novel after that <laughs> that's awesome yeah i know you have to you have to keep it moving because uh you have to follow the muse where it takes you and it's yeah. also uh yeah and, and it's great that you're able to go back and forth between the different um different types of projects i would imagine that helps keep the uh creative waters fresh for you it is it's a great thing I sometimes wish I could just stick to one thing. Like, like I, I'm just, I, again, like, it, it, you know, I know you write in three different genres, but to put out the five books and to just have the Westerns and everything is just an amazing kind of, you know, you know, um, run to be on that you're on. And, uh, 
you know, I, I, I do other things and then I, I wish I was putting out more books. But yes, every, everything one does has both its virtues and its drawbacks. And I, I, I should be uh, and am grateful that I am able to do this. Yeah. Yeah, we all are. We all are because it's uh, we, we realize that, yeah, we go through a lot of uh, downtime, if you will. But you know what? There's uh, there's nothing like being able to say you're a published author. And, and I know a lot of people out there have that dream. And it's it's good that you have a varied experience, because I remember an interview with James Elroy once where he said that novel writing is his passion, but the screenwriting is what supports his right novel habit because uh, unfortunately the money's not always there, is it? So Right, well, even for James Elroy, and he's so successful, wow. Yeah, yeah, he's had a lot, he's had a lot. Now you've got a lot going on. What's the best way people can continue to follow your impressive career on social media? Well, on social media, I'm on Instagram and uh, Twitter and Facebook, and uh, probably the best, uh, the place I post most is Instagram, so people can get on there. They can also get on my website, mattwittenwriter.com. And my Instagram, I kind of forget what, I'm, what I am there. I might be mattwitten22. Anyway, if you look up Matt Witten, you'll, you'll find me somewhere on Instagram. That's fantastic. Well, I thank you for taking the time out of your incredibly busy schedule to talk to us. And I know that uh, my audience has learned quite a bit from you and look forward to seeing more from you in the future. Thank you, Terrence. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Oh, it's been great. Thank you so much. Uh, everyone, this has been another edition of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. We'll see you next time, everybody. Thank you for listening. You have been listening to Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes with host Terrence McCauley on Authors on the Air Global Radio Network.